Hello, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 12 of the We Are Speaking podcast. During each weekly 30-minute episode, we address some of our favorite topics, including American history and culture, government, education, and politics from a Black perspective. We are very glad you are joining us today. This podcast is brought to you by our company, the Team Owens 313 Global Creative Community. We offer branding and marketing services, including online training and one-on-one coaching to independent writers, creative and solo professionals, and very small business owners. As a free or paid subscriber to the We Are Speaking publication, you can also access the podcast episodes through the website or on your favorite podcast player. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. My name is Pamela Hilliard-Owens, and I am one of the co-hosts of We Are Speaking, in partnership with my husband and business partner, Keith Owens, who also wrote and performed the intro and outro music for the podcast. And speaking of Keith, here he is. Hi, Keith. Hey, good to be here for another episode. (laughs) Well, today is June 10th as we uh, record this podcast. Yesterday, June 9th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, was the first of six televised public hearings for the January 6th committee to investigate the attack on the Capitol of January 6th, 2021. It was about two hours long, and it was fascinating. It was illuminating. They said, when I say they, I mean the committee members, said ahead of time that there would be some new things, some new things introduced, and there were. There was a lot of also reintroduction of things that we already knew, but to see it live on TV with and see two witnesses live was a completely different experience. Only the most political junkies and journalists probably watched on C-SPAN or whatever, the other um, hearings that were not publicly televised. C-SPAN covers everything. So you either have to watch C-SPAN or watch replays or what I call the talking heads talking about the previous, because they've been having hearings ever since the beginning. But to see them live in prime time, and of the six of the six hearings, the first and last are going to be in prime time at eight o'clock. The other four in between are going to be during the day. And again, those of us who can watch during the day will be able to see it live. Otherwise, of course, you can see a recording of it or whatever. And as a matter of fact, Keith and I were reminding our, each other yesterday, we were, because we're political junkies, <laughs> and we were watching the counting of the Electoral College votes on January 6th. We were watching it on TV when we saw the rioters storm the Capitol. And, and we were like, Wait a minute! Wait a minute! They're storming the Capitol. They're breaching the. They're breaking into the Capitol well, that's building. That's not what we saw at first. That's because not what we saw at first. At first, right, we saw. Right. Go ahead. Right. Because yeah, at first, what we saw, um, like Pam said, were definitely political junkies. Not everybody was sitting there watching the count. Yeah, watching the certification of the count. Right. But I remember when we were watching, and then as it as it was going, as the procedure was going. And then all of a sudden, you you saw somebody kind of rush, kind of you know rush up to the uh, podium, I guess it was, mm-hmm. and there was some you know, some movement. And at first, you weren't quite sure what was going on. And then they started ushering people out. Mm-hmm. And I remember my my one of my coworkers, I texted him because he's a political junkie like myself. And I said, "Are you watching this?" I said, "They're rushing these people out of there." Mm-hmm. And then the next thing you know. 
then you, then that's when it became clear. It wasn't too much longer after that when the cameras switched to outside. Right. And that's right. when you began to see, because at first I was wondering what's going on because they stopped it. Right. They, you know, they stopped the hearing and then all of a sudden they were rushing people out and then they showed cameras outside and it was just great. Right, right. just- and, and like I was telling Keith, both at, at the time, of course, of course, both of us were, were working from home as we had been since March of 2020 when the pandemic, when it was announced that it was a pandemic. So we were already working from home and I had the TV on in my office because I was, I was working on my computer and with one eye on the count. And I really don't remember, as Keith said, when they, when, when someone went up to the vice president or whoever was at the podium at the time, I really don't remember that part right away. I remember maybe, maybe because I was looking, I was watching it with one eye, one eye on what I was supposed to be doing and one eye on the TV. The first thing I remember is seeing them storm the Capitol because I immediately said, they're storming the Capitol. I was, I'd never seen anything like that before. And so yesterday during the first of the public, of the, of the public hearings, the televised hearings, I should say, they reiterated that. But what was very new was there was a, there was a documentarian who was there. And Keith's going to talk about this a little bit later. I'm going to give a little bit of the history of how we got to this point. And then Keith's going to give some, some statements about, uh, from a journalist's point of view. But so some of the things that were new was seeing it from the from the documentarian's point of view. There were two witnesses. One was a metro, metropolitan capital police. I, that's what I mean. Ca- capital police and the capital police are different from the metropolitan mm-hmm. police, and that's important to realize. The metropolitan police are like the D.C. police right. force. The capital police, their job is to protect the, the people working in the capital. Right. And so she was one of the witnesses, and I think Keith will talk about her number one statement. And and she came. She was invited to. Come because, as you remember, as people remember, near the beginning of the um, hearings a year ago, year and a half, almost a year and a half ago, they had a lot of different police officers, Capitol police officers, and MDP police officers testify. But uh, she was a, she was a Capitol police officer, and then she, I guess she was invited to testify, mm-hmm. and I think she was invited to testify because they had had film of what happened to her. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the documentarian that's that's his job. He, he, he films documentaries all over the world. And so he was filming the Proud Boys. That was why he was there. But when he in, finished his introduction, he said, I am here because I was, I'm answering a subpoena. And I think that's very important. Number one, he, uh, her, her testimony was very uh, straightforward and all of that, but so was his, but from a different point of view. Number one, he was there and watched it from the outside, watched it as it started happening. And number two, he, what, when you, when you're subpoenaed, that means you were called. There's a difference between being called and being invited. <laughs> but he made it very clear. He only said it once. I am here answering a subpoena. And that's, and to me, that was very, very important because that's what you do. When you are subpoenaed, you show up. <laughs> so uh, Keith's going to talk about that a little bit later in the podcast. But I wanted to quickly talk about the history of the peaceful transfer of power. That is in the Constitution, okay, that you are supposed, when I say you, I mean the, 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 the outgoing president is supposed to peacefully turn over the reins of power to the incoming president. And a lot of that is tradition, for example, writing a letter and leaving it on the on the presidential desk. That's sort of a tradition. That's not in the Constitution. And as and as a matter of fact, the, I remember when George H.W. Bush lost to Bill Clinton. He mm-hmm. was pissed. Excuse my language, but he was pissed for two reasons. Number one, he was an incumbent. Number two, he was a Bush. 
The Bush family was raised to be high level and presidents and things mm-hmm. like that. And Bushes weren't supposed to lose. He was supposed to, he was raised from birth to be president. Right. And so, and I remember the night before the election when he knew he was going to lose, he said, I can't believe I'm losing to this clown. He called <laughs> Bill Clinton a clown. He was mad. He was pushed. He was in, insulted. But by the time, but, but by the time it was time for January 20th of the next year, he wrote a beautiful letter, handwritten letter to Bill Clinton and left it on the presidential desk. At the very last minute, Trump wrote something uh, <laughs> to Joe Biden. I think some people forced him to do it because he really did not think that he had lost the election. Right. So, but I'm, that, that's part of the tradition. The tradition actually started with George Washington. Who, first of all, when he was president, when he became president, he made a big thing about turning over the reins of the military to another general. And that's, that's important. That's important because the commander in chief is a civilian and that's on purpose in the constitution or else we'd have a military government. And we very, and, and intentionally we do not have a military government. So when George Washington became president, he gave up his military commission. That's very important. Then he is the, then after two terms, he was the one that decided to step down after two terms. He was so popular. And plus being the first president, he could have won a third term, but he said, no, no, two was enough. And he, and he retired. And after that, two terms was a tradition, but it wasn't made into law until the, I think it's a 25th. Amendment, I should have looked that up. 25th Amendment after Franklin Delano Roosevelt won four terms <laughs> overwhelmingly. And that's when they put in uh, a president can only serve two consecutive mm-hmm. terms. Or maybe it's two terms altogether. I can't remember. I'll have to look that up. But so that's the tradition of handing over. And there were a lot of presidents who were not happy with losing. They weren't, even if they were not, even if they were at the end of their second term, they weren't happy with the, with the next president coming in. But that never stopped anybody from the peaceful transfer of power. And there were 10, there were 10 presidents over time who did not, who were incumbents that didn't win their second election from John Adams to John Quincy Adams, all the way down to Benjamin Harrison, William Howard Taft, Herbert Hoover, of course, Gerald Ford, he was the only president who was never elected president nor vice president. He was appointed vice president after Spiro Agnew retired in disgrace. And then when Richard Nixon um, retired, resigned in disgrace, he became president, but he lost to Jimmy Carter. And then Jimmy Carter, in turn, lost to Ronald Reagan. And But all of them who lost, so since 1980, well, actually since 1976, Ford, Carter, Bush won, those three incumbent presidents lost their re-election. Trump was the fourth. None of them stormed the Capitol. None of them said it was fraud. They all, you know, they were upset. They were mad. They were embarrassed. They hated losing. But then they moved on. They said, okay, that's the way it is. And I accept the will of the people. And um, here's here's how you transfer the power. And yes, you can uh, look at some of these agencies that you're going to need to have in place by the time you become president, et cetera, et cetera. And, th- and that was it. They didn't storm the Capitol. They didn't say it was stolen. They didn't cause a riot. Only Donald Trump in the entire history of the United States did this. And so me, the historian of the family, I wanted, I wanted to talk about that. And also the history of the attacks on, on the Capitol building. The only time there was an attack on the Capitol, and this is important with what happened last night, with what was discussed last night. The only time there was an attack on the Capitol and the Capitol was breached and the White House was breached, was during the War of 1812. In 1814, the British attacked the Capitol, 
and burned down the White House. Now, the British was a foreign enemy. It were foreign enemies. We think of, we all love the British now, but, but they were a foreign enemy. We were at war with England during the War of 1812. And so that was a foreign enemy that was attacking us, that attacked the Capitol, burned down the White House. And we learned this in elementary school in case you've forgotten. The reason why the White House is called the White House is because after it was burned and it, and it was rebuilt and painted, it was painted white. And that's why it's called the White House. But even during the Civil War, the attack, the Capitol was not attacked. The White House was not attacked. So from 1814 to 2021, never in the history of the United States has, has there been an attack, foreign or domestic. In 1814, it was a foreign enemy. In 2021, it was a domestic in, in, enemy. And this is what Congressman Benny Thompson talked about yesterday remind, and, and Liz Cheney reminding people of the oath to protect the Constitution, not protect a particular person, not protect a, uh, protect a particular party, but protect the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Okay, Keith, take it away. You're looking at me like, would you stop? <laughs> You've taken up half our time. <laughs> But that's the history. You always have to have the history as a background. And all that's really important, I think. And we joke back and forth about, you know, the amount of time we think. But uh, Pam is the historian. And all that was very important, I think, to know as backdrop for what it is that we're watching. Because too often we will watch things like this and not really appreciate the historical context of what this is really all about. What I was also want to talk about, though, was that the other thing that was that was really important when we watch these hearings is that, and Pam and I talked earlier, the, the American memory is very short, very short-term memory, and things can happen, and within months, they're gone. And I think back, um, and, and major events that could be horrific events, and you look at slavery or the Holocaust, and obviously, during slavery, let alone in the Holocaust, let alone slavery, there weren't you know, very many cameras. <laughs> we have photo records, but there weren't long broadcasts. So, so it's easy for people and, and others who want to erase the record, it's easier for them to do that. And they've been busy doing that, saying these things never happened or they didn't happen like they said, out of proportion. Same thing they've been trying to do with uh, January 6th, which is just two years ago. So I think that this is the hearings, first of all. A year and a half. year and a half, I'm sorry. A year and a half, not two years. And so the, the hearings are the way they're being presented, what I call their brutal but necessary necessary reminder of what happened. They they start off with tape and video of so the American public can see and remember this is what happened. These were not angry tourists that were going on. This is not a tourist event. This this did happen as they said, these were not peaceful people. As as the as the former president tried to say, this it was, was not, what they call it. Go ahead. I'll, yeah, I'll I mean this this was an this was an insurrection. It was clear that it was insurrection, and we, we and for though and the video that was there legitimate political le, discourse. Right, this was not legitimate <laughs> political discourse. I mean, even with the video that we had seen on the day of, that mm-hmm. was bad enough. Mm-hmm. But now with, with uh, the video that they have since uh, brought that was never before seen, there is no way to dispute what this was. And so I think it was important for them to set the stage first before anything else to remind people this is what we're talking about because the American memory is very short. And so when the, when they, when the Republicans and the right wing start trying to, uh, to whitewash this, to paint it as something that it, you know, that it wasn't and all those, even the Republicans who 
who are on record saying this was out of control, who said this had to stop, and who have since retracted their statements and try, and everybody getting on board and saying, oh, wait a minute, I didn't mean that. Even Pence, who they were trying to, uh, vice, former Vice President Pence, saying they wanted to hang him. And then mm-hmm. he starts retracting, et cetera. So that's the first thing, is that it's a it's a necessary reminder, first of all, the way they portrayed it. And, and let, you know, for, for step one, we need to remind, before we talk about charges, uh, or, any, or, or anything like that, we need to remind people of what this is mm-hmm. that we're talking about, what exactly happened. And then and along those same lines, and Pam mentioned the Capitol Police officer and also the videographer, it was important. I think they, they were great first witnesses. I'm talking about compelling testimony. The way they presented it was just phenomenal. And mm-hmm. I think because they realized the importance of the event and that you only... As they say, you only get one bite at this apple. Yeah. You only get one chance at something like this. This is historic, and if they did not get this right, then that that chance is gone forever. And I, I remember I'm thinking back to the Mueller report, which I tend to never read the report, but it was still very important. I think that he was unjustifiably pilloried. Mm-hmm. For, but, but the point made being made was this was the opportunity to show, and they felt like that was lost. Because it didn't have the impact that they that it needed to have. Right. So I think that both uh, Liz Cheney and Representative Liz Cheney and and, and uh, Benny Thompson realized that this this is a video age that we live in. And I also give them props because both of them are older, like right. us. They're not young people, but they realize that the age in which we live in now, you have to have the video, you have to have the dramatic presentation. And, and as Pam said, I'm a journalist, and I'm an older journalist. I don't know if I will. I would even perform in today's journalism because of how much things have changed. But there, but now it is so important. And many younger reporters these days know that you, you can't, with my day, you just you wrote the story. You mm-hmm. had your photographer. Now you have to take the pictures. You have to take video, have Twitter, et cetera. So they're realizing this. And so they're saying people need to see this video. They need to have somebody to identify with. You have to have people identify with other people. And so when you have this Capitol Police um, policewoman, and the videographer. And I think also, and other folks may or may not bring it up, but I think it's very important that you have this blonde, pale-eyed white woman. You know, because had this been, and I'm not saying they would not have believed a black police officer. You know what I mean? Because there was another, I believe he was a police officer. They didn't say. There was a, a black man there. I believe was one of the officers, very large guy. But because we have to realize the reality of, of this country. You know, I mean, we all know, know, you know, Black Lives Matter, the the situation between black communities, police officers, indisputable in terms of our believability versus the white believability in this area. So when you have a a, a white woman mm-hmm. who looked like you know, dragged her blonde hair, blue eyed white woman talking about and talking about what had happened to her, and also because the Republicans are the, are the law and order party. Ronald right. Reagan was really made big waves mm-hmm. about law and order, want to follow law and order. This mm-hmm. has been the big thing for them. And respect the police. Blue lives matter. Mm-hmm. All of this is coming from the right. All of that, you know, that they've been trumpeting this, trumpeting this for the longest. You know, protect the police, believe the police, the police unions. Here you have a policewoman saying, this thing, they knocked her unconscious. And, and, and on the video, it shows that these rioters, these insurrectionists, Took the took Blue Lives Matter flags and beat up policemen with the flagpole of, of of the Blue Lives Matter flags, and so to say that they're law and order when they are the ones well, attacking well, the police. Yeah, right, that's my right. point exactly. Is that there? That's exactly my point. Is that when you get a the same crowd that this is what they're saying? It it made it made what they say ring hollow. 
because you begin to see that they, they couldn't possibly mean this. What they're saying is law and order as long as it's our law right. and our order. You know, as long as it's going, things are going our way and you're defending what we want and what our beliefs are, then you're fine. But the minute you start to stand up for something we don't believe in, that's a whole other problem. And, and like, so in, like Pam said, it was on, it was on video and you could see it. It was, it was horrific. She was the one, one video that stands out to me is when she's, because that's when they were uh, breaching the barricades, the right. bicycle racks. She was there by herself right. trying to hold these bicycle racks. One woman, crowd of people, and she's there up front holding these bicycle racks. They knocked her back and her head hit those steps. Right. But she said, her first of all, she her jaw. I think she said the bottom of the bicycle rack cracked, hit her jaw, mm-hmm. and then her back of her head hit those steps. Right. And you could see her go still. Right. You know, and then later on she came in, but the she point came to, came to and, and went back into in, in, in the fray. But it's that testimony of people hearing what she said. And then her grandfather, she was in the Marines. Right. So here you have during somebody who is in Korea. So you have somebody, not only is she a police officer, but she comes from a family of service, of military service. So what are you going to say about how can you possibly defend this? As as, as Representative Cheney said, um, you know, uh, when she was talking to her Republican colleagues. At the very end. At the very end, when you defend the indefensible. Mm-hmm. So I think they made some of they made. But tell, tell everybody, before I talk about what the videographer did, before even spoke. Tell everybody the the number one quote from the police officer about how, as a police officer, oh, yeah, yeah, right. right. Well, um, okay, I was getting to that, but she said she talked about her training that she was trained. She was trained as a, and I can't. This is paraphrasing, I mean, but she said she was trained as a police officer. She was. She did not have combat training. Yeah, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what she said was exactly that. She said, as police officers, we're trained to. Take down individuals. We're trained for crowd control, right. but we did not have, and I did not have combat, combat training. training. And this was like a war zone, and, what, and, and that was very important. Right? Here. Yeah, and it was, and it was, and and with, and so when she talked about that and the war zone, she, she talked about slipping in other people's blood. I mm-hmm. mean, what she saw with her colleagues, and I think that was. As you say, it was it was very important, but it's also part of the point I'm making about presentation. Because once again, when people have these visuals, when you saw her at those barricades, because it's one thing bad enough to hear her talk about what it was like, but when you see the video of her by herself, mm-hmm. not that her, her coworkers weren't, but they, they were there were so few of them right. that there were so few of them that they were stre- they were stretched thin. Right, right, you know, right. so she was over there doing her best and to see that have to see to see the crowds and then and and it, and it illustrated what she was saying about combat training. Mm-hmm. Because when you saw that and that combined with the other video of them knocking out the windows, breaking down the doors of all these p- police officers trying to hold the line. Mm-hmm. And any footage you've ever seen, like I said it was like a movie, but not even, you should see f- war footage. Mm-hmm. It's this exact same thing. And it's like how in the world could she It was hand to hand combat. Right, which is also what she said. And I think the, the other, other, other thing I say is that uh, two other points, major points that I wanted to make was that one, it, it oh, two things, I'm sorry. They made the presentation simple and easy to understand, right. which is also critical. So it was indeed something that obviously, for, uh, and I contrasted with the Mueller report, mm-hmm. was extremely important, but it's a very, very, very thick report and it's not easy to understand. Right. So the vast the majority of people, regardless of what was in it and, and how important it was, People go to sleep in a minute because they right. can't follow that. Right. They can't. They could follow this easy. It, right. it would keep mm-hmm. you wide awake watching this, and they knew that because they knew when to bring in the video so you would see this. So it's not just one person droning on and on, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you can see this is what we're talking about. So they kept it simple, important, so anybody could understand what was going on. They also, as if you've watched some of the hearings when the Republicans are in charge mm-hmm. and how. 
there, um, not just the ugliness there are the questions, you know, but you wouldn't necessarily respect, expect that on this, but also how leading the questions are. Right. If they're asking witnesses that are friendly to their side, they ask very, very leading questions. Mm-hmm. You know, that they, you, this is what you have, you have to answer. If yeah. there's somebody that they're opposed to, they answer very, they answer very ugly. Mm-hmm. Lead, everything is leading. Everything is, mm-hmm. is a lie. When you listen to the questioning by Benny Thompson, Representative Thompson and Cheney, they, it was straightforward questioning. Right. What, you know, what did you see? Right. What's, you know, what was the one thing that stood out in your, out right. in your mind right. about this? What, you know, what does this mean to you? What happened at this time? What happened then? What happened? Facts. That's and all and somebody brought that up because I was telling Keith, I generally don't listen to the talking heads afterwards. Right. <laughs> but this time I did and I recorded and I'm going to listen to it again because they put in point by point. Mm-hmm. But because one of the things that one of them brought up is that neither Benny Thompson nor Liz Cheney, they don't think, are prosecuting attorneys. Right. For example, Ka- Kabbalah Harris is a former prosecuting attorney. And you can tell by the way she forms her questions, especially when she was on the Senate. But that neither one of them are prosecuting attorneys or were, but yet they asked questions as if they were attorneys. They were very, very careful about that. And along with the videos, I I was going to ask you if you're going to talk about what the a videographer said, but the documentarian, I call him, mm. said about the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers were at the Capitol two hours before Trump even began oh, right, to speak. Right, right. There was one, and before yeah. we wrap up, yeah, exactly. There was a very, very important point that he made and that they emphasized, like, right. like I said, uh, Representative Cheney and uh, Benny Thompson, was that there was a widespread, uh, the narrative Myth. had been put Merit. forth, mm-hmm. like it had been put forth, that, that it was when you saw Trump uh, spe- uh, uh, speaking at the rally, and then he said, I'll be with you, which of course he wasn't. But the narrative is that he gave the order then. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, everybody knows about the Trump, the tweet where he said, be there. But mm-hmm. then the narrative is, okay, now they're there, and they said, okay, let's go. And then mm-hmm. because he said, you know, let's go to the Capitol, then everybody followed his lead and went to the Capitol. And it kind of got out of hand. Got out of that, hand. That's what the narrative right, that they right, wanted. Right, right, that they went out of hand. And said it was not out of hand because what, what because a couple of hours, because Trump took to the podium at noon, I believe they mm-hmm. said, the Proud Boys were breaking down those barriers at 10.30 right. in the morning and an hour and a half before Trump even got there, which means, and also they pointed to the, the military, because they were called, well, what do they call them? Packs? Oh, there was Stacks, 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 stacks. The way that they, the way that they, the the the, the oath keepers were the ones who were in stacks, mm-hmm. and they were, and as they were climbing the stairs, one had had his hand on the shoulder of the one in right. front of him, and that's military stuff. Right. And they said that's why they know that the oath keepers recruit from police officers and veterans because, because of, and and, and it shows, and and that's in military stuff. But the very important thing about, the, I, and I keep calling him a documentarian because mm-hmm. that's his job, mm-hmm. but he was hired to infiltrate the Proud Boys. Right. Right. He wasn't hired just to t- see what was going right, on. Right. And so so he had been following the Proud Boys for a few days or a couple of weeks even before that. Right. And so that's why he knew that the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers were up casing the Capitol and checking checking it out. Right, he was two hour, because he was following them yeah, right. two hours before uh, Trump even started speaking. Right. So they knew, that's so very they, important. Right, because they, they knew. Because it was planned. It was planned. So the whole thing, thing, everything was going according to the plan they had set. It wasn't just a bunch of rowdy guys that a bunch of people showed up and got out of control, got angry and say, hey, why don't we just storm the Capitol right. and go crazy? Mm-hmm. They, they knew, and some of this had come out before, but they really packaged it well because some of what had come out before was when when they knew, how did they know where Nancy Pelosi's office was? Was, right. right. You know, so they didn't just randomly, they, they knew where the, the picture of him, that one guy in her office with his feet on her desk, they knew where to go. Mm-hmm. So they knew where to go, they knew where to break through, they knew all of this, all of this, this was part mm-hmm. of the plan. But the last thing I wanted to say, 
main major point was that I think the all anybody who watched this and hopefully watches the remaining hearings right. you know, throughout, is that this really underlines the importance of voting, period. Right. If we had not had a Benny Thompson. What in the world would have happened if the people we need to, to sway are the liberals, the progressives, who are you know friends of ours, who say they're not going to vote anymore because they didn't get their way, and that's how we, and so therefore they're so upset. And and those who want to say that it doesn't matter if it's Trump or if it's President Biden, you can't possibly, if you're in your right mind, watch this testimony mm-hmm. and hear the evidence. And say that it doesn't make a difference who is in. Right. Because the only reason we're getting these hearings now is because we still have some clout. Mm-hmm. Once we lose that, all there, the, the, everything gets erased. And so it's critically important to to break through everything that's stacked against us, which they're stacking as hard as they can. But what they have put together mm-hmm. is something that if this is so historic and so powerful. Mm-hmm. Is what's really needed. To really rally the people and really o- o- give us what we the ammunition we need to overcome the other side. Go ahead. And, and but this is what we have to along those same lines. This is what we have to keep hammering home to us. When I say us, I mean our side and to the people on the other side because there are a few what I call real Republicans. Mm-hmm. Okay, not that we're trying to get them to switch, although that would be nice. But they need to realize how toxic their own party is. And Benny Thompson said it yesterday, and I hope he says it at the beginning of every single hearing. At the very beginning, right after January 6th, we asked for an independent commission like we had after 9-11. That was an in, the 9-11 commission was independent. The Republicans said no. They didn't want it, in, they didn't want it investigated at all. And so that's when in the Constitution, that is the job of the House. So it's not an illegitimate committee like the Republicans try to say, and we're, and we're going to close this out. But it is con- it is a con- it is in the Constitution uh, checks and balances. Right. And so then Nancy Pelosi, being the Speaker of the House, she set this up because Republicans refused to have an independent commission. And so then, so then they, the, Kevin McCarthy wanted to put Jim Jordan and people like that on on this committee with the Democrats, and Nancy Pelosi said no. And so he, he, so McCarthy pulled back all of his Republican potentials for the committee because Nancy Pelosi said, no, we're not going to, we're not going to turn this into a circus, you know? And so then that's when she appointed Liz Cheney, brilliant Mm -hmm. Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzer. Both of them voted to impeach the president. Okay. During one of the impeachment hearings. And everybody knows Liz Cheney. And it's so funny because. Liz Cheney is about as conservative as you can get. And she voted with Trump 90% she, of the she time. She voted with Trump 90% of the time. But above that, she is for country over party. Right. Adam Kinzinger, mm-hmm. but I can't pronounce his last name. But he's also very, very conservative. Right. And that's important. Well, no, they, like I said, they need, to, they need to, and then we've got, we got to wrap it up. Right. But the reason why, because people cannot question their conservative credentials, and not just their conservative credentials, but in this climate, it's mm-hmm. not just for how much of a Republican you are. The fact that she voted with Trump mm-hmm. 90% Policy of the time. Policy-wise. Policy-wise. But when they start talking about who's loyal and who's not, it's like, she voted for you your guy. Not only did she vote for him to be elected, she she voted for his policies 90% of the time and she's going against him. So when you have to, and she is her, she is the daughter of Dick Cheney. 
So how far much more Republican do you want? Mm-hmm. You, you can, this is not the daughter of George Bush. Right. Because there is a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not, but this is Cheney. Mm-hmm. Everybody realizes, some people who call, used to call Cheney Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. this is hardcore. You know, this man plays hardball. They, mm-hmm. Dick Cheney was doing everything he could to undermine President Obama. Right, right. After Obama got in there. And he went, and Dick Cheney wasn't even in office wasn't then. Wasn't even in office then. And she's, and she's his daughter. Coming from Wyoming, one of the most conservative states. And here she is side by side with Benny Thompson. From a little Mississippi town of, of five hundred and ten well, people, five hundred and ten people, <laughs> the lone Democrat from the Mississippi delegation, right, and the longest serving African American, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, and and to see them side by side conducting this is such a powerful message. Mm-hmm. Incredible mm-hmm. black man, white woman, Mississippi, white chain. Mm-hmm. It was just amazing. That's the brilliance of Nancy Pelosi. So, so we're going to end up, we're probably going to have to, well, actually, we probably are going to because it's going to be seven, a couple more weeks of hearings. Mm-hmm. But this was the introductory hearing, and it was so mm-hmm. powerful. And so, so we went a little bit over our time, but we let, let us know what you think, because this is historic, historic, historic really period. Is. And we will talk to you next week. Yep, talk to you next week.